0: Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette.
1: I'm Maria Doulis from the CBC.
0: And we have a little bit of a different show for you today. Uh, Maria and I are sitting at the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism, where we've just listened to presentations at a CBC event from the state budget director, Robert Mujica, and also from the city's first deputy mayor, Dean Fulahan, who was the budget director under Mayor Blasio for his first term. So uh, we have a few thoughts on what we've heard, and then you're going to hear those presentations, including some question and answers with the audience that were further illuminating as the state budget director and the first deputy mayor discussed the federal tax reform and its effects on the city and state. So, first for today's data point is Maria.
1: $14.3 billion, the total value of the state and local tax deduction, uh, which was capped at $10,000, a change adopted in the federal tax law signed by President Trump at the end of 2017. 3.3 million New Yorkers currently deduct SALT, and early estimates are those impacted will pay 25% more in property and income taxes that's quite a tax bite and likely to impact upper middle class and higher earning individuals who pay the bulk of the state and city personal income taxes and who are homeowners paying property taxes.
0: And so before you hear remarks from uh, Mr. Mujica and Mr. Fulahim, uh just a couple thoughts from us. Um, it's clear that the state officials and city officials are really trying to react to this tax reform that takes effect really quickly. It was just signed at the end of the year, as you said. Um, what were your takeaways from from what you heard today?
1: Well, you know, the, the impacts are still being estimated. And so the, the panels actually at this event will go into detail on what the best thinking is on how those impacts will shake out Um, But certainly there is a fear about how this impacts the high-income earners um, and how it impacts even, you know, middle-class families who pay very high property taxes across the state. The state seems to be a little uh, more aggressively pursuing a response. They have issued a public report that's got the goals of uh, of a tax reform or a tax restructuring that would occur to limit the impact of the federal bill. Um, And the budget director said that they would be issuing some sort of uh, legislation within the 30-day amendments uh, to the budget, which should be out soon. And that is incredibly quick timing for something this complicated.
0: It was really remarkable, and folks listening will hear the full rundown from uh, Robert Mujica, but it was really remarkable, you know, having read the report that the Department of Tax and Finance put up, or having skimmed it, Mm -hmm. um, to hear him go through all these options for potential changes to the state tax code I mean, it's a big menu, and they have a lot of thinking to do. It's very complicated. He indicated that. Um, This is all happening, as you said, on a very fast timeline, and we don't know what that's going to look like, and then we don't know how the negotiations with the legislature will go.
1: Right, and a lot of it also involves voluntary behavior changes Mm -hmm. by individuals or corporations who have to be sort of cognizant enough of how such changes would work and benefit them to take advantage of it. Um, so incredibly complicated, and then there are the questions about, you know, whether and how the state can decouple from federal um, tax code, whether the city can decouple from the state, or, you know, so it's, there are a lot, a lot of moving parts here, and it's sort of clear that, um, you know, we'll see what the city will be thinking as the budget comes out uh, before February 1st, but um, the, the state is sort of aggressively moving forward with some solutions, I guess, under the premise that the the perfect is not the enemy of the good, or Mm -hmm. the good enough.
0: Mm -hmm. And so the governor has presented his budget address. Obviously, you and Dave discussed that on the last episode of this podcast, and um, we will discuss on the next episode the city preliminary budget that the mayor puts forward. So the state always goes first, and the the city follows, and they both follow federal changes often, and the federal budget, although that's um, complicated because of the way the, the feds have often done these, you know, continuing resolutions. But um, it was clear from these presentations that while the state is really wrestling with major overhauls of the state tax code, you know, the city is more waiting to see what the state will do and trying to influence it, and then also very concerned about cuts to funding to the city for certain programs. And, um, you know, Dean Fulahan talked a, a bit about, as folks will hear, the tough choices that the city might have to make in their next budget.
1: Right. I thought he, he it was a very important reminder that, you know, President Trump is issuing his second budget proposal and it is likely to be just as unkind to the city as the one was last year that everyone was really just freaking out about. Um, so
0: healthcare, I mean, housing, NYCHA, yes,
1: and you know, you have two public authorities in the city who would provide critical public services in in NYCHA and H&H, uh, health and hospitals that are likely to get bear the brunt of any cuts that are actually implemented from from the federal budget. Um, so City has a lot to worry about. Not sure what they can kind of act on in the budget presentation for the current year, Um, but we'll we'll see what they present next week.
0: One of the most fascinating things to me that Fulahan said um, was that you know the city has sizable reserves, and he said, you know, we might wind up using a lot of this, these reserves for making up for federal cuts as opposed to what you generally might think of them as for as being a a city, you know, a recession that hits the city's Um, coffers hard. And so that's something that we'll have to break down on a a further episode. That was very interesting to hear. So
1: that is one theory about how to proceed. And I would question that there are limits to how much city government can supplant federal resources and also federal responsibility in some areas. But as you say, topic for another episode.
0: So uh, coming from my perspective as not being as immersed in these topics as you and other folks at CBC, and obviously the people speaking both the two that we'll hear from on the podcast, but then these other two panels that CBC is having today, I would just say to listeners, if you're really steeped in this stuff, um, like some of you certainly are, you'll be able to follow better for folks that are more lay people like myself, you know, try to listen to the options that, uh, Robert Mujica presents and Dean's presentation was a, a little less wonky cause he wasn't getting into the state tax code as much. Um, but, you know, trying to sort of glean the big takeaways here. And and so uh, as you listen, some of it's a bit complicated, but I think what um, some of the big themes and takeaways of what Mujica gets at are very important to all New Yorkers.
1: Right. And so if it whets your appetite, uh, you can go on the CBC website and we'll have the full video presentation of the panels. The first will be uh, kind of the best minds or some of the best minds anyway. Uh, unpacking what the impacts are on various elements of the tax structure, the second panel would be about let's evaluate the responses, including what the state has put on the table in this tax report. So, so please th- tune in if, you, if you're if you interested. So
0: those are the two panels that you can find in the full video on the CBC website. Here for the rest of this podcast, you will hear first from State Budget Director Robert Mujica and a little bit of question and answer with the audience, and then you'll hear from First Deputy Mayor Dean Fulahan, and a little bit of Q&A, and we will be back next week to discuss the preliminary budget put forward by Mayor Bill de Blasio. So, without any further uh, discussion from us, here is Robert Mujica. Uh,
2: Thank you for having me this morning. I'm just going to go through a little bit of the history, how we got here, and also just what the options are that tax and finance has put forward, um, and the legislation that we intend to draft. So, for the seventh year in a row, the governor has proposed... Um, his eighth budget for seven years consecutively, we've increased spending by less than 2%. Right? This is the lowest state spending increase in history for any administration. If you can see, whether it was Democrat or Republican, spending has, gone, has increased on average 5.1% um, since 1959. Under the governor for the last seven years, we've increased spending by only 1.4%, and we just proposed a budget that's at 1.8% as a result of keeping spending under control we've been able to reduce taxes and this goes to the to the uh washington and the salt elimination we're able to eliminate taxes in new york we're able to lower taxes in new york today every new yorker pays a lower tax rate than they did seven years ago corporate tax rates are the lowest since 1968 manufacturing taxes are the lowest since 1917, and we have the lowest middle class tax rate since 1947, going down to 5.5%. We have 8.1 million jobs in New York. That's the record number of jobs for New York. Our unemployment statewide is down from 8.3% seven years ago to 4.7% today. And that's across the entire states, not just in not just in one part of the one region of the state, but across the state, unemployment is down in every single region. At the same time, state debt has declined for five consecutive years and is still lower than when the governor took office. Uh, If you measure debt by absolute debt, if you measure debt um, as a percent of personal income, again, the debt burden is steadily declining and it's the lowest since it's been since the 1960s. But the main issue for this January this year is not the budget. It's to fight the devastating impact of SALT on New York. Washington wants, through elimination of SALT, they want to dictate budget policy in New York. Even if you support the rate cuts, and many do, there's no way a New Yorker can support SALT and the elimination of SALT, which is just a direct penalty for New York State. Uh, the rationale for the elimination of SALT just, that's coming from Washington is just is false. One is that it's, it's a high-tech state. And again, we've reduced taxes, we've reduced spending in the state. The rationale is New York is a high-tax state, so then what should we do? Well, we're against high taxes, so we're gonna raise taxes on, on New Yorkers. It's the opposite of what they're saying. It's wrong. The days of the large spending increases and the high taxes are well behind us. We had 7% budget increases, 8% budget increases, 10% budget increases um, in the late 90s and early 2000s. And again, for the last seven years, he's been at 1.4%. Seven years ago, New York was number 12 in the nation for taxes. Now we are number 20. Over the past seven years, New York State's spending increases have been 25% lower than all of the other states. So their rationale is false. We do have high property taxes. So the governor did after his, first, after his first year in office, he capped property taxes. So now property taxes are growing at 2%. Um, so we've bent the curve on the growth in property taxes. For the rest of the nation, the average property tax increase is 3.7%, which is about double where we where we are. So we're getting there on property taxes um, as well. The real truth is that New York contributes $48 billion more to the federal government than we get back. We are the number one contributor in the nation, more than California, more than any other state, more than 30 states combined. Um, so, we contribute $48 billion more to the federal government than we get back, and this was before SALT. If we, if we got the $48 billion back, we could eliminate uh, the, per, the property tax. We could fund education. So we don't get that $48 billion back. We weren't asking for it back, but now we have this new, this new assault. The federal rationale is false. Again, SALT is a subsidy. They say that SALT is a subsidy to high-tax states, that the federal government is subsidizing New York. Again, that's false. New York has the highest per capita income in the country, one of the highest, one of the top three. New York has the highest GDP per capita. We have the highest personal income. We're a high wealth state. The subsidy actually goes in the opposite direction. Uh, States with the highest state and local tax burdens also happen to be the states that contribute the most to Washington. The states with the highest tax burdens actually are the ones that contribute most to the federal government and fund most of the federal budget. And then it's also the opposite, which is the states with the lowest tax burden. So the states that they talk about that don't have personal income taxes, Florida, those states actually are the states that get the most from the federal government. So we're paying into the federal government and then the federal government is actually subsidizing the states that have lower taxes. That's what's actually going on. So the truth is they just needed the money to pay for their tax cut. They came to New York. They came to California because they wanted to pay for the federal tax cut. Even after um, deciding that they were able to fund the tax cut with 1.5 trillion dollars, they still needed money. So they came to New York and they came to California. New York and California together are 25% of the nation's GDP in these two states. So they came here because that's needed money and that's the reality of what they were doing. So combined, New York State's local uh, and state, local, and property tax burden is higher than the national average, largely because of property taxes. So we can't afford to do nothing because New Yorkers can't afford for their income taxes to go up 25% and their property taxes to go up by 25%, which would be the result if we did nothing. How bad is it for New York, the numbers? There's 3.3 million New Yorkers deduct SALT, so it's one-third of all taxpayers deduct SALT. We have the number one, the highest SALT deduction in the country. The average SALT deduction is $22,000. It's the most of any other state. The total value of SALT is $14.3 billion in New York. So it's the most, again, out of, any, out of any other state. And so impacted New Yorkers will see, and I'm talking about an average New Yorker, middle class New Yorker, will see about a 25% increase in their income tax or their property tax as a result. Where is it concentrated? It's mostly concentrated downstate. The dollar value impact is mostly concentrated in downstate. New York City, Nassau, Suffolk, Westchester, they pay 79% of the personal income tax from resident personal income taxes come from that part of the state. So if you're looking at Westchester, Nassau, Suffolk, and New York City, they pay 79% of all of the personal income taxes collected. So that's where the bulk of the impact is. However, the impact is statewide. Because if you lose some of that 79%, then you cannot fund uh, education, you can't fund healthcare, and the impact is, is much, much broader. So it impacts our ability to fund those services. So the impact of SALT, the elimination of SALT, it's not a fair trade, even if you're okay with the taxes, the tax cuts in Washington. It's not a fair trade. Because the new federal middle class tax bracket for middle class goes down to about 24%. Uh, at new York, in New York State, the new middle class tax bracket will fall to 5.5 percent. The federal taxes are about five times higher than state taxes. And when you look at dollar for dollar, the tax cut that we did that's, on, that's in the books now and it's being phased in for New Yorkers is much higher than the federal tax cut that's supposed to be for middle-class New Yorkers. So we cut taxes more than they did. They're saying they needed to do this to cut taxes. But the reality is, it's a big corporate tax cut. It's $1.5 trillion that went for the corporate tax cut. The personal income tax cut is small, and the state tax cut that we did here in New York, um, the government acted two years ago, is bigger than the federal tax cut. So, SALT is gonna cost New Yorkers another $14 billion. From Washington, they talk about, well, we're subsidizing New York, we're subsidizing those states. Uh, salt is a loophole. Um, salt is not a loophole. The origin of salt dates back to 1862. When Abraham Lincoln needed to fund the Civil War, needed to, it was the first federal income tax, um, needed to finance the Civil War. They specifically said in 1862 Revenue Act, federal tax liability was to be calculated after state and local tux- taxes were collected when in 1913, when they enacted the modern federal income tax, SALT was enshrined in that bill. It said that state, the federal tax liability would be based after state and local taxes. So New York and many other states around the country built their tax codes around the 1913 foundational principle which was that state and local taxes are deductible. We built our tax code around that. So it's be reasonable now that we have to change our tax code to deal with this new reality. The federal code encouraged local governments to use deductible taxes in place of non-deductible taxes. Businesses do this and and government did this. We used deductible taxes to pay for the services that we provide, education, uh, healthcare, in place of non-deductible taxes. So we built our tax code around this. It's been around a long time. This is a, a shift that cannot be understated. We've been here before, in 1985, Congress wanted to do big tax, big, uh, tax overhaul, big tax cut. Uh, they wanted to pay for it using SALT. We fought it back at that time, but it was the same thing. Go to the states where the money is, um, but we won back time. And back then, the late Senator uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan said, there are areas of government that must not be invaded by other governments. He was specifically relating to SALT in a speech in 1985. So we have to fight against the federal plan. There are three things that the governor has talked about doing. One is to sue the federal government because this was a foundational principle going back to 1913. Um, advocate for the plan's repeal. So there are options, political options, to repeal the plan. That's also part of it. And then restructure the tax code, which I'll talk about now. So how do we restructure the tax code? Again, it's a, something we have to do. There are two separate problems. There's income tax deductibility first, And then there's property tax deductibility, two distinct problems, both of which require solutions. The governor will propose the New York State Taxpayer Protection Act, and it will be to restructure the tax code, starting with the state income tax. The Department of Tax and Finance, as Carol mentioned, issued a report, a preliminary report exploring the restructuring options. Uh, We're going to work with tax experts, work with the legislature to draft legislation. The principles of the report issued by the tax department, there were four principles. One was to promote fairness for New York taxpayers. Fairness being try to restore as much of the deductibility as possible, if not all of it. Protect the progressivity of the state's tax code. So in whatever we do, retain the progressivity of the system so that we can fund state services in a similar fashion. Protect and enhance the economic competitiveness When they eliminated SALT, they put New York at a disadvantage vis-a-vis other states and they did it on purpose. So how do we make sure that New York is still competitive versus other states? Employees still wanna come here, people still wanna live here, and maintain the short and long-term revenue base, which is also making sure that those that are paying uh, the personal income taxes, and and because it's so regressive, we have a large percentage of high-income earners who pay a large percentage of our personal income tax, Make sure that they stay here. That's preserving, preserving the base. Part one of the report outlines a potential proposals for creating opportunities for charitable deductions that could benefit New Yorkers. Presently, uh, many states currently incentivize charitable contributions. They provide a tax credit for all or some portion of certain charitable contributions in support of public purposes. Public schools, colleges, and the tax credits range presently in states from 10% up to 100% of the gift. You give a charitable contribution right now to a school, to a hospital directly, you can write that off as a charitable contribution presently. However, you pay it in state taxes and the state government gives it to uh, same school, same hospital, not considered a charitable deduction. That, that exists in the codes. So we look at ways to reform that. How do we do that? We can create two funds public education fund, a healthcare fund, these f- contributions to these funds can offset a person's tax liability. So you'll take, it's, to fund the same thing, individuals fund schools, individuals fund hospitals, state fund schools, State funds hospitals. So we'll provide an incentive um, so that individuals can get a tax credit and they can also preserve their deductibility. This can work at the local level potentially as well to fund local services, to uh, fund local property taxes. Um, A local government can also uh, give a credit off of your property taxes for contributions that you make to a local school, and that can also potentially work. That's the option in relation to charitable contributions. Part two presents a number of design options for reducing income taxes and shifting instead to what we're calling a statewide employer compensation expense tax, which would be on the employer side instead of the personal income tax side. So the federal change attacks the in, attacks the income tax directly. We collect 47.6 billion dollars in PIT in the personal income tax. 37.5 billion of that is from wages. So this solution only works for wage income. We'll have other solutions for non-wage income, but the law basically says you can't deduct uh, your payroll, your um, income taxes any longer. But if we shift from an employee-paid system to an employer-paid system, and all states have payroll taxes in some form. Unemployment insurance is a payroll tax, Social Security is a payroll tax, and there are various other payroll taxes. It's not a new idea. Again, if we would've built our system from scratch today, we would've focused more on what are the deductible options versus the non-deductible options. So rather than have income um, received by an employee tax, you tax the wages paid by the employers and you make adjustments. Depending on the design options, you could generate billions of dollars in annual taxpayer savings by getting deductibility on those taxes. Um, The employers would pay the tax equal to an employee's current income tax in its most simplest form, and then the payment by the employer is federally deductible, and the employee has no income tax liability on those those wages. So for example, in in its most purest form, an individual today pays $100, gets paid $100, they pay $5 in state income tax, they go home with $95. Uh, under the new law, you pay $100, you, you get paid $100, you pay $5 in income tax, you're now you're taxable at $100 instead of being taxed at $95. Under the proposed alternative, in its purest form, you get paid $95, there'd be no personal income tax, you still take home the same amount. And from the employer side, it's the same amount either way. So you're basically just shifting the withholding onto the, onto the employer side. It should cost businesses nothing, but the employee is held harmless and they don't experience a 25% tax increase from deductibility. So what are the options? So one is the uh, statewide employer compensation tax. Now how do you, how do you create it? One design, one design option is to use the current tax withholding tables. So take the current tax withholding tables, put that on the wage side um, and then build credits around that to make adjustments. It gets complicated because you have to adjust for withholding, whether someone's uh, single, whether they're married, whether they have, whether they have children, um, and what other income they have. But if you use the same withholding tables, that's one option. Second one is to simply, is, is to replace and eliminate the PIT entirely. So if you eliminate the personal income tax in it's entirety and just replace it with a, with a wage tax, that's much more aggressive It's very, it's complicated to do is possible. And again, if we had started here in this place, you would have done it this way. Um, But we'd have to recreate the progressivity um, on the wage side. Um, You would not have a personal income tax at all. You'd have to create something else to deal with non-wage income as well, because it only covers wage income. And then you can create a fixed tax schedule. So one is you create a tax schedule that is fixed. It's similar to the current withholding tables. Um, they're based on an employer's salaries, and then you give a wage credit to the employees for any taxes that the employer paid. So under that system, you have the employer pays, pays the wage tax, employee still files the personal income tax, and then they get a credit for any wage tax that the employer paid um, on, their, on their wages. The second option would be just a a flat employer compensation tax. Now you can do that, but you have to maintain the progressivity of the system. If you do a flat tax, which is simpler to create, you could, one option would be to use the lowest marginal tax rate, rate, which is 4%. So you do a flat employer tax at 4%, and then you create credits or tax reductions around that to make sure that the employee is also held harmless. You can go the other way and create a higher rate So you create higher uh, wage tax. And then same thing, build tax credits around that in order to recreate the progressivity. The flat options are easier, but both options will work. Both options hold the employers harmless. Um, the The third option is to target employer compensation above a specified wage threshold. For example, 200,000, and these are all listed in the report. If you start at a higher wage threshold, then you can avoid some of the complications in dealing with individuals who make lower incomes, when you have minimum wage, individuals that don't pay taxes at all, they have no tax liability. You can just leave the system the way it is and then create this other option for higher income individuals. The fourth option is do a tax surcharge on supplemental wages. So for those individuals who get bonus income, um, we get commission income for those, right? largely in the financial sector. The bulk of the bonus income comes from. There, just do a tax on the supplemental wages. That's not a personal income tax. So you do a wage tax for the bonus income, and then that would be fully deductible, and that would deal with that that portion of income. Some of these work together, um, and some of them work in, work independently. And then one, and then another example is use an employer opt-in, where we would create an entity level employer compensation tax. So, and you create requirements or we would decide which businesses would be eligible. You can then opt in, you have to meet certain requirements um, and that doesn't it takes the, the burden away from a business who may not wanna participate. So the tax code would define who the eligible corporations are. What are the issues with all of these? There are many. Um, One is, what's the form of income tax relief? Do you create credits? Do you create refundable credits? The cash flow for employees, making sure they take home the same amount of pay. Uh, The cash flow to the state, making sure that if we're waiting to the end that there's there's enough cash flow to the state. Um, Also, making sure that we preserve our bond covenants for the personal income tax code. Federal employees, we can't impose a wage tax on on the federal government, so these options don't work for federal employees. The impact on labor costs, impact on local governments, how you treat low income workers because as you get lower down the income scale, um, they're not necessarily impacted as much by SALT and reforming the entire system gets very complicated. So are there are ways to deal with lower income earners that doesn't just upset the entire system. Um, the tax credit benefit eligibility and then residency issues. So. If you apply some of these, you may actually result in reducing employees' tax liability, because if, you're, if your pay is less, because you're paying less taxes, then you may go into a lower tax bracket, and you may end up actually paying less in federal taxes um, than you're presently paying, or than you were paying prior to the tax, load, tax code changes. So these income tax changes can apply to New York City taxes as well. It can also apply to Um, Yonkers, which both have separate income taxes. Uh, Part three of the proposal talks about what can we do for pass-through income, for individuals that don't have wage income, payroll tax doesn't work for them. One idea is an unincorporated business tax. So since you're paying on the personal income tax side, it didn't matter how you were incorporated if one way or the other, because all local taxes were deductible. Now since they're not, business taxes are, you could replace portion of the PIT with an unincorporated business tax. The state does not have one. The city does. um, And it would replace dollar for dollar uh, with that. So creating some kind of state level UBT for higher income individuals is one of the options that we are also looking at. And then part four of the proposal talks about all of the other conformity issues. The state code is linked in many ways to the federal code. um, And those options are how do we deal with the standard deduction increase? Presently, the state code requires that you have to, if you itemize at the federal level, you have to itemize at the state level. Do we keep that or do we allow individuals to pick one at the federal level and do something different at the state level? Um, they eliminate personal income tax exemptions. The enhanced child tax credit, they increased it from hundred eligibility from 100,000 uh, income to 400,000. Limitation on IMIs deductions, mortgage interest deductions, and then state and local taxes. We talked about generally. So these are all things that we're working through. We expect to have something. Um, we're still exploring all of these options. We're working with experts, legal experts, practitioners um, through all of these options, and we expect to have legislation within the next within the next 30 days. So it's really hard, right? And the tax restructuring, the tax code is complicated. It's 13 volumes. It's 5,692 pages. It's probably the most complicated area, but it's essential, the governor thinks, to protect New Yorkers, um, that we do something here. It's not enough to say, this is what the federal government did and we have to deal with it. We have a lot of options and we can mitigate, if not eliminate, the impact on New Yorkers. So, thank you.
3: Mr. Mejica. I've been following this pretty closely, but you made my head hurt. How, how, what is the timeline? How realistic is it that we could get something done in this legislative session?
2: Yeah, so I think it's, it's very realistic. We are actively, we've started drafting. We issued that report because we wanted to make sure that it was a public process. And everyone saw what the options are. And we're getting a lot of feedback. The report is posted on the tax and finance website. We're getting people who are, who, Tax practitioners from all over the country, actually, not just from New York, um, are responding with ideas. Um, and then we're meeting, in the, we're meeting separately with practitioners. We will have legislation drafted, some version of legislation, if not all of it, within the 30-day amendment period, just about three and a half weeks from now. So we'll pull some legislation there. And then we've engaged with the legislature,
4: so we think you have to do it this year. Rob, you talked mostly, understandably, about SALT and the fact that it's going to raise high earners' taxes at the federal level. Um, but it will also raise taxes at the state level because we are coupled to the federal definition of adjusted gross income, and so all of these things that have happened, as you said at the end, at the federal level, will go into the base on which fe- state taxes are determined as well. So um, you, what about... Uncoupling from federal definitions of gross income, so that people aren't actually generating more revenue for the state than had, than was intended. That you, that hasn't been mentioned in your presentation. Mm-hmm. I understand the Senate has already passed a bill to do that. What are your thoughts about that?
2: We our intent is to decouple in all the places that make sense, including there, right? So including. Um, the AGI levels, right? But there, when we talk about decoupling, there's a lot of places where we need to decouple. So it's not just in that one in one area. So the governor said yesterday, our intention is to fix the AGI component and decouple there. But we also have a lot of other places where we decouple. I have scary conversations every week. My tax experts on my team come in and say, we found this other piece in the bill you know, that could cost us $2 billion if we don't fix it. And it's not related to these things. There are just quirks in the bill, two words that are unique to our code that if we don't change, can result. So we're looking through all of them, and that's why I understand that the legislature wanted to pass a, pass a bill yesterday, but there are so many pieces here. We want to make sure it's done comprehensively and we don't, and we don't miss anything. And that was the point of taking a deliberative process and waiting for the 30-day period because we want to make sure we get it right.
3: So I've been reading a lot of analyst reports on this, And I read a very interesting S&P report, which, while bleak in the long term, says that they expect, in 2018, the tax bill to spur economic activity and to boost state revenues, state and local tax revenues, in the short term. Do you agree with that? And my second question is, given all the repatriation money that's coming back, Goldman Sachs announced a huge amount of repatriated money, Will that money, will New York state be able to tax that money for the current fiscal year?
2: So on the economic impact, I think for New York, I think it's much more complicated because we're losing more than we're gaining. So I don't see, so that economic impact, now you have certain sectors in New York that may benefit. So we haven't done an analysis of what the impact would be. But as a whole, New York is losing more than they, more than they gain. And, and the, the way the tax code, the way it works is a lot of these tax increases or the tax cuts expire, right? They all expire. The personal income tax cuts expire in 2025 or begin expiring as early as 2024, but the corporate rate cuts are permanent. So we don't know what the impact is gonna be on New York. On the repatriation, New York specifically, as a result of uh, business tax conformity and simplification does not tax foreign income presently, right? So we do not tax foreign income presently at all. Now, the federal government just didn't, you didn't know, rate increase and just deemed all foreign income to be repatriated for the purpose of taxation. So I think that's something also we have to look at.
4: You, you mentioned that your options could apply to the city level as well. The, the city personal income tax is tied into the state tax. In fact, the state collects it for the city and remits it. And it's a state law. When you say you're going to have a bill in the next... For the 30-day amendments, do you plan to propose corresponding changes to the city PIT? Our tax
2: experts at DOB are talking to the those, the tax experts, Dean's tax experts, if you here yet, uh, at OMB. So we'll work that out. Our intention is to protect Everyone, right? So if we can get those, those pieces drafted and get those in, but if we need to conform both the state tax code and the city tax code and Yonkers, the goal is to protect everybody.
0: And so you just heard from Robert Mujica, and now we will bring you the presentation from First Deputy Mayor Dean Fulahan.
5: You know, it, it wasn't that long ago where when we talked about the federal government, we actually didn't, it, it wasn't a constant topic. And now it appears every single day it's a constant topic. And that is really a dramatic change. What we've been seeing historically from the federal government is a gradual decline in the amount of assistance that New York City receives. Uh, there was a period, going back to the fiscal crisis, significant part of the budget that continues to go down. So now it's somewhere between 8%, 9%, 10% of our budget. But that that. Assistance has, occasionally it increases, but gradually over time it decreases, and it was never viewed as a place where we were going to see major policy changes. That has actually changed. Unfortunately, it's changed to create a crisis for us. So your question really is appreciated. The shutdown in Washington, I mean, we certainly have to at least raise it, uh, may be over, but it's emblematic of everything that we believe is wrong with this federal government under the Trump era. Uh, It's a disregard of the values of financially responsible budgeting. It's a disregard for the needs of the vast majority of Americans. So we don't know, obviously, whether Congress and the president will be right back where they started in three weeks. Uh, But we do know, at least it's scheduled, that in the coming weeks there's gonna be a new budget proposal from the president uh, if the past offers any kind of consistency, this new White House budget will be just as bad for New Yorkers as the last one proposed by the President. Include, included cuts to Medicaid, to SNAP, Homeland Security grants, NYCHA housing, affordable housing, or to put it in a different way, cuts to vital programs that keep us safe, healthy, and protect our social safety net. So the discussion we are having today is taking place against that backdrop uncertainty for our city and our residents. So how bad is it? Well, the recent tax plan, and I'm going to reiterate much of what, uh, of what uh, the state budget director and my friend and colleague said this morning. Uh, how bad is it? Well, the recent tax plan passed by Congress along party lines and signed into law by the president, it's bad for most Americans. It disproportionately hurts New Yorkers and our city. And it could leave us as a city making terrible choices when combined with the budget on necessities, like police, fire, education, sanitation, the things, the issues that we have made the core of this administration over the past four years. And it's taking place at a time when too many Americans, including the residents of New York City, are struggling even after many years of of expansion. So let's start with state and local tax deduction. So we know, we estimate, these estimates are constantly changing because it's a complicated, it is actually a complicated bill. But we estimate the fundamental part of the federal tax code, the capping of the SALT deduction will cause hundreds of thousands of New York City taxpayers to see their tax bills go up immediately by an average of thousands of dollars. The federal government is effectively taxing income twice at the same time that the federal government is withdrawing from provided need assistance. All too often, the SALT deduction is spoken about as though it's a concern of the wealthy, and clearly it is, but simply not the case. The majority of those who take, the vast numbers who take SALT deductions are earning less than 100000 In a city, that means people who are already struggling to get by. As a result of the combination of capping the SALT deduction, the elimination of the personal exemption, hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers, the majority who are less actually than $75,000 a year, will see their taxes rise. It's true that many taxpayers will see a cut in their rates initially. But even that reality is fleeting. By 2025, taxes on many of those same individuals will increase. By most estimates, this tax law adds $1.5 trillion to the federal deficit. And I do find it astonishing that the Republican Congress and the president are borrowing a sum that large and still actually increasing taxes on American families that are earning less than $100,000. To make matters worse, never mind that they wrote a law that balloons the deficit. We know that the leaders of Congress will use this fact and that will be reflected in the upcoming president's budget as an excuse to do things they wanted to do before. Cut basic government programs for the the majority of Americans and New York City residents rely on. So first your taxes may go up, then you lose your health care coverage. Here in New York, snatching away those kind of supports will also deal blow to our public institutions. For example, Health and Hospital, our public hospital, will face an even greater challenge than we already do. We have the largest public health system in the nation, serving one in seven New Yorkers with Medicaid and uninsured accounting for 70% of the patients. The failure right now to address the federal sunset of the disproportionate share hospital program that provides care for the uninsured places an additional and unnecessary strain on our hospitals. It's about $300 million a year just to health and hospitals. If there are additional cuts to Medicare, to Medicaid, there will be fewer patients who are able to afford health insurance. As it is, we know that the individual mandate under Obamacare has been repealed, which could leave 13 million Americans without health insurance and increased premiums nationwide. The combination of these blows to the basic support many Americans rely on for health care will do severe damage to the base of paying patients at our public hospitals. In many unique ways, this bill and the tax proposal tried to do damage to things that New York City and other municipalities rely on. Uh, There was an attempt to restrict tax exempt, public borrowing, one of the mainstays of how we finance our capital project. A lot of that didn't occur, but clearly, congressional leaders have said that they're still going to come back and try to do more of that, and that would have devastating effect to our affordable housing program. Uh, they did uh, take one one piece that has not been widely noticed, but they eliminated advance refunding, uh, tax exempt advance refunding. So they actually are prohibiting us from when when interest rates are low, as they are now, from taking advantage of that. They're actually saying we can't do that at this point. We estimate, actually, over the next four years of New York City's financial plan, that's a cost of about $425 million. So when the combination of capping salt, the mortgage deduction also will make it harder for our residents to finance their homes. So I do want to get to your questions, but before I conclude, let's. Few, few major points. New Yorkers, and Rob said this, New Yorkers are already paying more of their share to the federal government. The state controller, Tom DiNapoli, cited that in, fed- in federal fiscal year 26, New York State provided 40.9 billion more in taxes than the federal government than it received back. To put it another way, for every dollar in federal taxes, New York State sends to Washington, New York State gets back just 84 cents. So we find ourselves in a complex moment. Uh, Our mission, though, is simple. We must do everything we can to protect our residents. We are working with the state, uh, as the state budget director cited, and we're working with the business community to try to find ways to blunt the worst effects of the new tax law. So yes, it includes exploring, and they are all complex, and I'm quite sure we'll discuss it in the questions. whether portions of the state income tax can be replaced with a payroll tax, whether the unincorporated business tax, which we do have in New York City and the state actually has not had now for quite a number of years, whether that offers an opportunity, and it may in certain cases, particularly cases of passive income that, are, that did not get the 20% reduction, that did not get the uh, deduction under the federal tax bill, it may offer some opportunities. And we also have to explore where it is appropriate to decouple both and on the personal income tax and on the corporate tax. So, and and all these issues are going to be complicated and very difficult. Uh, we're working with the state; their time frame is a little quicker. We obviously have the preliminary budget, and then we have on April twenty-six our executive budget to try to address these. Uh, we're going to do this in a cautious way we want to maintain our tax base this is not an attempt to take advantage but it's an attempt to make sure that we can provide the services that we need Uh, there was a question i I believe greg you asked about um, about the money coming back into corporations that actually could lead to a loss in tax revenue so once again each one of these factors and how we do it and what we decide to decouple and where we decide to decouple are going to be very complicated and very important for us to look at. So I'll conclude with this. Uh, The Tax Cuts and Job Acts of 2017 was passed very quickly, in a rush, little formal debate. Entire sections of this bill were crossed out and rewritten by hand. It's not normally how we are used to seeing federal tax law policy developed. Congress voted before anyone could have had time to read the document, must less digest its contents. Like the rest of America, the city is continuing to analyze what's in the law. We are learning new things all the time. Uh, what we can say for certain, it will take time before all these implications of the new law are understood, worked out, or felt. Uh, it is surprising, though I do want to conclude with this, that in 2018, it's sort of where I began, what threatens our success at this point uh, is not an act of nature and not an economic collapse. It's actually a relationship with our own federal government. So thank you, um, and I look forward to your questions.
3: So, uh, Dean, there. while there are impacts at lower income levels, the key impact is millionaires and up those are the people in New York so that face the biggest tax increase.
5: As, a, as, a, as, a, as a factor of dollars on average of course that's the case. but you know if you're struggling and you actually just saw the federal government pass a1.5 trillion dollar tax cut and you actually have a family and you're making under uh, under hundred thousand, it's almost inconceivable that you actually end up with a tax increase. And I'm not quite sure to that individual, that's not a very big deal. Okay,
3: but I would like to ask, why is the mayor interested in imposing a millionaire's tax on the very people who will be paying more under this bill? Is this the right time to do that? Okay,
5: so, so the mayor has said, so I'll try not to recreate the entire transit fight of yesterday, Uh, But the the mayor has said that he supports the millionaire's tax. He recognizes, and he said this, he recognizes there are, and you know that he fought bitterly, he fought as hard as possible to stop the capping of the SALT deduction and the elimination of the personal exemption. And on SALT, he couldn't have been more articulate or stronger in that position. And we had the backing of our congressional delegation. Uh, It it was capped, but certainly it still exists. And he has said that to the extent we can work ways and find ways uh, to benefit those people who were hurt by that, we're going to do that. And that's what we are looking at. And that's what we're working on with the business community. And that's what we're working on with, um, with the state. That does not preclude. That does not preclude, and, and, and we know, when we factor, when you and I talk about what's the results, we're just actually trying to understand the personal income side of this and the passive income side of this. We're actually, none of us have incorporated yet what's the benefits under the corporate tax and what's the short-term benefits that are gonna ha- happen and those, those benefits are gonna accrue to the very wealthiest. So at the same time, the mayor has said that, and identified that as a permanent funding source, uh, for transit, we should be looking at a millionaire's tax. I don't believe, and I'm happy to continue the discussion, uh, that those things are mutually exclusive. Carol's frowning at me. But, yes, but
4: I won't, I won't continue on that topic. Um, as you said, there were some issues pertaining to public finance that looked like they would be very negative, and those things were left out. But there is still a concern, or is there a concern, yes. that the lack of deductibility will... Um, and the the um, changes in the corporate tax will make municipal bonds less attractive as an investment vehicle to large groups of investors and that this could have an impact on the city's borrowing costs and the things that it does with its capital program, such as affordable housing. Are you concerned about that?
5: So we, I, we're concerned about everything. Uh, that's clearly a concern that we have. We do believe and, and uh, we know that, that both in the marketplace and with our ratings that New York City remains very strong. I, there are municipalities I would be very concerned about. So in terms of the whole country, we should be worried about that. Do we see short-term reactions for our paper? No, I don't believe we do. Um, but the same people who, the same leadership in, in Congress that were pushing for further reductions uh, on private activity bonds said at the time that they were going to come back and, and, and bring this up again this year. So I think we both need to be concerned about other municipalities around the country who struggle to enter the market and what that means for them. And then we also need to be concerned that there'll be further restrictions.
3: You know, um, I think this issue is going to underlie the panels that we're going to have later today. But in the state PowerPoint, um, there was a very interesting line that said, tax migration is real, that people relocate because of taxes. Is it your, do you believe that's true or not true? So. Complicated answer, right?
5: I Obviously, we are accepting that we need to work with the state to try to find ways so that the, the the capping of the SALT deduction does not have negative consequences. and And certainly, we're talking at this point about high income. And we're willing to do that. We're more than willing to do that. That's one of the things that we should be doing what the exact consequences are going to be in the short term. I actually think everyone's going to be very confused about the final tax implications of this. So I think that's going to take some time, but we're trying to address that issue. So fundamentally, we want to address that issue. We think there are many things that make New York City make New York City attractive and a vi- the viable city it is. And a lot of that is how we have uh, directed and targeted our spending. I, you, you and I have talked about this. I, we, you know, we're the safest big city in America. We are, we are transforming policing on community policing. We have given the benefit uh, to 70,000 children a year on, uh, on universal pre-K, and now we're expanding that initiative. Biggest affordable housing in the history of New York City. All these things are the benefits that allow for this thriving and growing city that we're so lucky to be a part of.
4: If you're willing, Dean, we'll take a couple of questions sure, from people in the sure. audience. Anybody have a question?
2: Are the state or the city considering adopting, or you, you know, thinking about adopting their own individual mandate um, at, at the state
5: or local level? So I'm not going to speak for the state. I mean, we're, I, we're at this point, we're, we're, look, it's part of the overall assessment. I right now need to know. Uh, are, are our payments to health and hospitals going to be cut at least $300 million a year, and what are the other ramifications uh, in, the, uh, in the federal budget that we're going to see? You know, we've been very fortunate, I mean, we've actually been fortunate on the budget side of this that they've been doing continuing resolutions, but every major proposal that's come out of either the House or the President has had dramatic and huge cuts to New York City. So we're going to have to balance all this and be very careful how we proceed. But let's remember, it's New York City and health and hospitals that are providing, that are taking care of uninsured New Yorkers. And and that's where where it rests. Again, it's a staggering number. 70% of the patients at health and hospitals are Medicaid and uninsured. That is not a minor thing that that we are already taking care of. In relation to the city's competitiveness, has there been focus on the fact that, you know, from the point of view of a wealthy New York City resident taxpayer, uh, you, know, you would lose their capital gains and dividend income as a tax base if they become a non-resident. You have not just Florida with 0%, but also Pennsylvania with 3.07% as a flat tax rate. Um, I I, I just, what focus has there been on the competitiveness issue? So, again, in response to the question specifically about the tax bill, we're trying to see, as is the state, are there ways to offset those consequences? That's part of what we do. But I'm still going to answer in a holistic way. We actually, I mean, look, this administration, this mayor, believes in a progressive, uh, a progressive agenda. We've been putting that forward. We're doing it, and I didn't actually touch on this, but I will now. I mean, we we believe that we are doing it carefully, thoughtfully. We have not raised taxes. We have put aside historic levels of reserves in this city that has never occurred before. We believe we need to do those for periods of time when there may be risks, so we can maintain the kind of programs that we think New Yorkers deserve and that uh, our residents deserve, and we're doing that. Unfortunately, I I, I sort of said it at the end, we did not expect, and, and there shouldn't be any reason to expect, that those reserves may end up being used, not because of a potential recession, but actually because of federal government action. And and there is risk of this. Greg or Carol asked the question to Rob about whether, and there are some forecasters who are talking about, you know, we're going to get a short-term bump. We don't think it's going to be that big, by the way, given the employment levels uh, in in the nation and the state and the city at this time. But fine, there may be some bump for this, but there is a great deal of conversation about what's going to happen two years from now. And what's gonna to happen to, I mean, we're already, what, in, I may have it wrong, 106 month of this expansion. So, you know, at, at some point, there's an economic risk that's on top of, the, uh, of what the federal government is doing to that. It's not where it should be happening. It, you shouldn't be spending, you should, a, a, I, I'm gonna say it again, a trillion and a half dollars to end up with tax increases makes no sense.
3: So I'll end with this question. Uh, there's hardly a more important program to the mayor than the affordable housing That's program. True. But it is clear, while the, maybe the worst proposals died, this bill will hurt affordable housing, at the, at the very least by making low income tax credits less yes. uh, attractive. Have you assessed the bill's impact on the affordable housing program?
5: We are concerned about its impact on affordable housing. Look, we've made the commitment on the 300,000 units, we're going to maintain that commitment, but that, along with other actions that we're going to see from the federal government, are going to be a set of choices that we have to make, and there are going to be decisions uh, on, on other programs that I guess we wish we would not have to make.